Hello everybody, welcome to Mentally Sound's Life in Lockdown podcast series. This is episode 87. I'm Ricky Thaman and I'm your host for the next hour. Mentally Sound is a mental health and mental well-being show. The idea is that myself and my guests talk candidly and in substance on everything to do with mental health. So on that basis, as a disclaimer, we do strongly advise that you go see your GP, your nearest therapist, or crisis centre if you find the topics of our discussion distressing for you. A reminder that Mentally Sound is a podcast, formerly a radio show that pre-existed the pandemic and lockdown, so we've adapted to podcast medium for the meanwhile, during and post-lockdown. If you're listening to us on Spice FM, Newcastle's fantastic community radio station from the heart of the West End, you can tune in via 98.8 FM, or online via the website at spicefm.co.uk. And we're on air on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and repeated on Saturdays at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. If you'd like to get in touch, perhaps be signposted to a guest or seek advice from our therapist, you can email us at mentallysound at spicefm.co.uk or why not get in touch via social media where we have links to all our shows as well. On Twitter, we're at underscore mentallysound on Instagram, we're at Mentally Sound Radio, and on Facebook, it's Mentally Sound Radio Show. And incidentally, on our Facebook header page, you'll find all the updated archives to all our podcasts as well, with all the relative topics listed underneath. We're also on all the relevant podcast platforms. Look up Mentally Sound on Clip, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Spotify, Anchor and Apple Podcasts. And on show this week, we come in two parts. In the first part, we have Shireen and Caitlin from the Elzig Mutual Aid Group, who are part of the West End Mutual Aid Group overall and part of the city's Newcastle Mutual Aid Group. So this is their third time, I think, on the show. We got them while we were busy in lockdown. They've had some interesting developments of late. So both Shireen and Caitlin will be telling us all about that. And a reminder how the Mutual Aid Group started during the pandemic and how it continues to serve people, particularly vulnerable people in the West End, right up until this day. And my second guest is Sarah from Trauma Research UK, a brand new charity organisation that's already made inroads in terms of getting themselves out there, particularly on social media. Um, There's a really interesting backstory to this involving a famous couple who appear on our daytime TV who help people with their anxieties and mental health issues. Really interesting to hear that. It was just a really, really nice discussion. Those that know me know about my trauma and how that's quite dear to me in terms of raising awareness, not just post-traumatic stress disorder, but various other traumas and interesting terminologies as well, like installation points, which I never really heard of before. A really interesting discussion, and I, and I look forward to all you hearing this as well and any feedback you'd like to give. And just to stress as well that the, the couple I talk about is the Speakmans, uh, Nick and Eva. Uh, they were very much the inspiration for this charity, but at this moment in time, not associated as such. I just want to amplify that. So um, so please tune in for that. A really, really great discussion. And before we start, yeah, I just want to quickly give a big shout out to Spice FM, uh, over the weekend, Bank Holiday weekend, I was helping out the Newcastle Miller and it was just so awesome to help out. Um, just saying, 
seeing friends and, 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 and family, people I hadn't seen in a long time, people out enjoying themselves. With lockdown, people had missed the Milan, or there was one last year, but to be more directly involved this year was, was great, and uh, just the atmosphere was fantastic, people enjoying the music. Being backstage, meeting people, um, photography and videoing, and even giving, giving the balloons out to the kiddies was just awesome, and I want to big up to the Newcastle Mellor team. And the sponsors, including New Innocent and Spice FM as well, and, and, and being with my colleagues over the last couple of days was, was really fantastic. And I hope that you all, all of you that went, had a great time as well. You know, I met several people and several organisations who agreed to be in future podcasts, so that's great news. And including just chatting with people at the stall who, you know, we had this discussion about mental health and the importance about, you know, talking about one's feelings and, and seeking advice and getting the right signposting. So overall, a brilliant weekend. Thanks to all those involved. So without further ado, please enjoy the show. Thanks very much. everyone welcome back to mentally sounds life and lockdown podcast series we're at episode 87 thank you all for persevering we're reaching the big nine zero and the aim is to get to 100 and we're going to get back to our normal radio show functions but um lockdown is something that's still going on for a lot of people a lot of people vulnerable people out there that we we're not going to forget some people in the community who still depend on the generosity of others and we like to amplify that on this show and uh our guests for this first part of this podcast kind of very much in that sort of element. Um, they've been on a couple of times before. The group has sort of evolved uh, to some extent. Before we hit the record button, uh, my two guests kind of, sort of were explaining that to me, and they're going to explain in more detail how that's come about. So um, if you guys remember, I chatted to the Elzig Mutual Aid Group, which is sort of twinned with the Western group as a whole. And uh, they've had a few changes recently and some really kind of interesting um Really interesting projects that are aligned with that going on. I was looking on their Instagram feed, and I'm curious to know what's going on. So welcome, Shireen and Caitlin. How are you doing both? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not bad. Yourself, Shireen? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having us on. Excellent, excellent. So just a quick sort of update to to people out there. I mean, when this whole kind of collective began in terms of communities up and down the country sort of getting together the mutual aid tag kind of got very into our psyche very quickly because that's what it essentially was. We're helping other people out. And very quickly amongst the first were, were the groups in the West End and particularly the sort of the Elzig group. So, Shireen, first of all, I know I've chatted to you before. Um, do you want to remind listeners how it all came about? So it seems like ages ago now, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does seem like ages ago. Mm. Um, and it's sort of, funny remembering at points just like all of the different stages and the things that we've gone through with the phases of lockdowns and and I mean everyone I'm sure everyone's had lots of personal changes and things over that time so it's yeah Mm. it's it's been a while but um we basically started essentially through a Facebook group Mm. and that formed into a WhatsApp group um and it was initially basic uh it was initially basically this sort of um, stuff that people needed during lockdown that people weren't able to access, for example, if they were isolating. Mm. And those, those were the two. Those... those were the two big ones, sort of food and prescriptions. Pretty much, but 
the quite quickly requests started coming in for I can't pay my bills yeah. and people's financial circumstances were obviously changing and becoming yeah. quite difficult. Um, then we started doing sort of put a shout out in there in the big WhatsApp group that we had for sort of Arthur Till. Mm-hmm. Can someone help someone cover a twenty pound bill, or can someone help someone get you know ten pound credit? Because a lot of people in the West End are obviously um, seeking asylum and yeah. aren't you know have, have are on such a low um, low well budget or f- from from the government. Mm-hmm. So people needed their phones more, needed mm-hmm. internet more. So yeah. it was. That those kind of financial um, needs started coming in, and we, yeah. we we would basically get those covered by other people within the group. And things like I imagine I know from a pre- previous interview, things like technology, because we were depending on laptops to connect with one another. And of course, there were a lot of people out there who didn't have such technology, did they? Yeah, there, there was a lot of um, a lot of. Yeah, people sort of desperate for laptops and and phones, and mm. because basically the sort of like public services were assuming people had it. The schools, the education system was sort mm. of functioning as though everyone had a laptop or was requiring people to have a laptop, and that was and, and also for people learning English. Yeah, um, and I mean so many things. So yeah, fixing so we we able laptops. to we able to meet them sort of demands then, particularly at the beginning. I, I would say we we did really we were because a bit different to now but because people were so everyone was sort of active and getting involved people were at home it was I think that really brought a lot of people together quickly and wanting to help so and Caitlin how about yourself how did you first get involved how do you get to know about what was happening and what was what motivated you to, to to join in and help I mean, I first got involved slightly later yeah. um, during sort of sort of winter twenty twenty, yeah. um, around about Christmas time, uh, when I found myself. I don't know to have a bit more spare time and mm-hmm. also to be in a bit of a financial pickle myself, mm-hmm. and um, realised um, that <clears throat> realised that it was something local to me. Yeah. Um, and by that time, the group itself um, had become uh, far more formalised than what um, Shreen has just described yeah. and um, it had become a process of sort of weekly food parcels mm-hmm. that were being given out to um, sort of, at, at that time, uh, over, 30 fa- uh, over 30 families um, a week um, yeah. and we were being given food um, mm-hmm. through different food organizations like fair share yeah and through the Magic hat cafe yeah and um by a lot of people coming together mm-hmm. um and i found it a re- i personally found it a really positive way to engage um with sort of i don't know meeting my own needs and meeting the needs of other people sure. um but um it was interesting to see how things operated during that time mm. as they certainly were on a smaller scale mm. to how they are now mm. however they had certainly evolved more from just the phoning up to do errands yeah. the um the requests for money um and financial support mm. that the group had orig- originally been established for 
Um, and I think it, it's just been sort of so many different stages mm-hmm. that this group has been through mm-hmm. that has been like really interesting and important to see it grow, really. Fantastic. And I like particularly when you said that when you had your own sort of issues going on that you kind of felt related to that was other people and you felt the need to join in and help others. I thought that's, that's really, really, really great. Um, Shireen, so I remember you had to sort of particularly think outside the box sometimes, almost literally, because I remember from a previous interview, I believe that it was a particular, um, was it a phone box in Arthur's Hill that you were campaigning to keep open? I know that in as well, you, you're using sort of phone boxes to necessities there for people to come and pick up so they don't have the, the you know, they don't have to turn up somewhere where they feel their dignity is being judged or anything like that. So... Um, how did that come about and particularly what's the latest on that particular phone box in Arthur's Hill? Because I know, I think it was with, with BT you were having sort of negotiations with, weren't you, at the time? Yeah, yeah, it, it is actually, um, it, so it was two phone boxes that we were using and we started using them because we saw um, a group in Annick right. do it and just thought it was a good idea. We then were able to link up with Fairshare, who at that time were giving out free food that was sort of stuff that was going spare mm. within the sort of hospitality service industry, I guess. Yeah. There was a lot of sort of excess stuff. Mm. Um, so we started using those, and, and but they were, yeah, before we, before we started doing these kind of um, food distribution that Caitlin mentioned, mm. there was huge amounts of food going into those phone boxes every day, like a few times people would go down. Mm. Um, and they actually are both still there, and they're still operating, you know, less active with people putting stuff in. But mm. um, And sometimes we put stuff, if we've got stuff left over from food. But actually, I just messaged someone the other day yeah. um, about their allotment. And they were going to speak to their whole allotment sort mm. of group about whether they can donate us food. And they were like, oh, we're already doing it. We put it in the, in the phone boxes regularly. So mm. it is actually kind of continuing to operate in, in ways that aren't always kind of visible to every other member in the group mm-hmm. um, and for now the phone box is, is saved as well so excellent that's excellent great. that's good news Caitlin do you want to follow on from what Shireen said regarding the structure of the phone boxes I think you have some um, more detail on that okay yeah thank you um, I'd just like to say that um, as the um as the way that we've done our food parcels mm-hmm. has progressed, I think the use of the phone boxes themselves um, has changed a lot mm-hmm. in that they've sort of supplanted what we've done. Um, right. We distribute our excess food there. Yeah. And in that a certain amount of people have always been able to apply for a food parcel and maybe perhaps not everyone will get one or mm. now that it's membership structure yeah. members will get one and we um we distribute a certain amount of solidarity parcels to non-members okay I, um, having the community larder means that there is food there mm. all the time for anybody to reach mm-hmm. and so it's a different approach and a different principle yeah. to being able to access food yeah um and just that constant constant presence of having food available mm-hmm. there at all times is something mm-hmm. is is it, it's cohesive but it's different and it sort of works in tandem with what we do um uh 
whilst the group is sort of changing and working differently, I find. Right, interesting. And am I right? Just a quick, a quick one on the actual membership. That that's just in a you know the, the in case, I guess in terms of criteria, that's just you know so you have a, I guess a, a regular income coming in to support the project. Is that right? Is it's not like there has to be anything and any other sort of criteria met. It's just you have a means of a, a regular income to support people. Yeah, it's basically we set up as a formal organization called yeah. Food and Solidarity yeah. to. Um, well, there was sort of a couple of reasons, but it it was basically about sustainability right. of the organisation. So there are members who receive food, there are members who don't receive food, and okay. people pay uh, on a sliding scale based on income. Sure. Uh, you know, co- costs have gone up because there's less stuff being given away free yeah. at this phase of, we're not out of COVID, are we? But this, yeah. this phase of stuff. Mm. Um, so there's less stuff being given away free, and mm. we... Um, uh, we we also sort of registered formally, yeah, at a location with the council and stuff like that. So it we okay. it's sort of for sustainability, really. But yeah, anyone can join as a member. Okay, but if people want to receive food, it's it's primarily well, it's the West End basically. Sure. Well, you mentioned uh, food and solidarity, and Caitlin mentioned it just before. So, I mean, the floor is yours now in terms of what's 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 become of of, of Elzig Mutual Aid recently and. And how it how it's now become as well food and solidarity. I mean, I'd like to say that having a location has been a really important starting point, um, just in terms of being able to think about the capabilities of what we can do, mm-hmm. and um, like just in the fact that they are so broad and that. Uh, that they've drawn so many people from all over the West End together and given um, just a sort of more concrete sense of belonging and also in picking up the food parcels, it has meant that more people um, have come to pick up the parcels themselves. Um, And in that picking up the parcels themselves, it's often motivated those who receive the parcels to participate in packing packing them which is a nice part of um you know it's a, it's a nice way to involve people and it's a really important um it's a really important way to sort of preserve community dignity and respect yeah. and involvement and make sure that it's a sort of equitable members organization sure. um and i suppose when we've got a space we've got a space to sort of make decisions ask questions and and think about what we want and what we need as a community really fantastic shireen is anything you want to add on on the end of that yeah no that i i agree that the space has been really important mm-hmm. and i you know i'm definitely motivated more people to made it easier i think for more people to get involved and come and collect their food and for more people to sort of meet a little bit sure um which is great yeah. um and and the other thing with membership is that it's about sort of fighting for members' needs, not just food. It's mm. you know beyond that as well. Sure. Um. So like a recent thing has been that somebody's um been threatened with eviction, a member of the group. So that's where you know having other members be able to come along and support. Um, an eviction resistance sort of training session was run, and members went along to sort of hand in a letter to the landlord in a big group so it, so it's sort of that that fighting for members 
Um, is this what's been going down on? Is this well. been going? Is this what's been going down in Sydney Grove? Am I right in that? Just looking at your look, your feed. Yeah. I mean, feel yeah. free if you want to go into more detail about it. You don't have to go into you know regarding the person involved, but. What's the issue there? Is it sort of... Um... I don't know the full details. I don't know if you want to chip in at any point, Caitlin, but mm. I know it, it's a house which has been a sort of community house for years. Mm. So it's it's a group of... Um, I actually don't know how many people there, but it's been different amounts at different points. But it's a big house and it's always been a sort of community mm. house um, that you know, people that live there generally are quite involved in like sort of local campaigning and activism so it's it's like kind of a known community house basically and um and the landlords trying to trying to kick them out okay um, well i mean that that yeah. particular street i know very well because um back in the day there was another base in sydney in sydney grove where mm. we 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 used as a community hub where we would sort of organize a lot of like anti-racist sort of concerts in town and stuff so um yeah so i mean i think i, re- I retweeted a a tweet or a shared on Facebook, um, I think that was on your pages. So, and it is sorry, just to say quickly, it is yeah. an ongoing fight. It's an ongoing, because, you know, yeah. Um, something that I asked um, when I interviewed Mutual Aid on the previous podcast, because we were deep in sort of lockdown then, and now we're kind of out of lockdown of sorts. I know you mentioned before, Shireen, that the COVID hasn't gone away, and and you're right, it hasn't. But now that we're kind of you know, back to normal as sorts. I don't think we are anyway, but I think, you know, as as what you guys rightly do in making sure that vulnerable people are still being sought so to. But um, what's the future of sort of mutual aid post-lockdown? Is, is, are, there, are there still the same problems there? And I guess in mind with, you know, people are talking about the, the cost of living crisis and, and you know, th- this winter is looking particularly bleak. I mean, what what do you see the next few months? What are the next few months going to look like for your group and how you go about things? Um, I, I'm, I have to say, I think in 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 there is there's realizing that the pandemic isn't over, mm. and then there's realizing the new obstacles that are created yeah. by the cost of living crisis. Yeah that are created by a, a, ma- a massive, massive inequality in mm-hmm. terms of wage stagnation and price inflation. And obviously those who may have no recourse to public funds at all mm-hmm. or um, no increase in their benefits at all, yeah. um, apart from um, the, the, um, cost of living payments that don't seem to cover much of um, mm-hmm. the increase of in energy bills that <clears throat> has been declared by the government, mm-hmm. um, and the the northeast and the west end of Newcastle is one of the most deprived areas in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we, yeah, we're a membership group. We're sort of horizontal. We're quite pretty much quite horizontally structured and a democratic group and I think I think it will take a lot I think it will take a lot of long discussions Mm -hmm. to think about how to solve problems that will affect people unequally in a way that the group can do in a way that is 
as equitable as possible, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. And I think you made a good point in terms of like the wage, wage stagnations and, and you know, when we're talking about, you know, we don't try and be too political, but when you see the discussions amongst, you know, who's going to be the next PM and they're talking about tax cuts, I mean, that's going to make, means, that's going to mean no difference to people who are on universal credit, who are dependent on food banks and so on. So, I mean, is there anything you want to add on to that, Shireen, uh, on, on the back of what Caitlin said? There's a really good point there, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just like really tough times. Mm. And it's but I think that what we're doing is, is, is hopefully, um, I, I'm talking sort of more psychologically here, but I yeah. think the hope of being part of a group that is trying to do stuff and you know, like we can't solve everything, but we're trying to do stuff and build keep growing. I think that's going to be important mm. to keep growing and, and sort of try and reach people mm. um, so that they have some point of connection with, mm. with, you know, people that are trying to do things and, and that are helping practically with food. But yeah. we, we, we do still have our solidarity funds that mm. are people can request a 30 quid grant and it, you know, seeing the costs of energy, it's like that, that doesn't, too much. My last question to both of you, um, as it is a mental well-being show, um, and keeping in mind sort of the anonymity of people you meet and and, and the, their, their their respect to their privacy, but over the last couple of years, you know the sorts of people that you've met and helped out. Um, what what are the striking things that have come across to you in terms of people's mental health as these these sort of crises have been going on through the. The, the pandemic and now with the cost of living and, and the worries of not paying their bills. What what are the striking things that, that, that have sort of hit you? And Caitlin, I'll ask you first and then I'll come to Shereen. I think not often, mm-hmm. thankfully, but there have been a few times, certainly, I think because a lot of what we do is done via sort of drivers and a lot of what I do because mm-hmm. I don't drive is sort of packing parcels yeah. or I've done a bit of work on the sort of telephones or emails. Yeah. Um, but um, sometimes people will come to where the food is being packed mm-hmm. and say that they desperately need food and and it and it will be a sort of moment of crisis and it, and it can be quite emotional yeah. and it can be a, a sort of moment of deep shame mm-hmm. um for those people and it can be something that is quite hard to break down mm-hmm. and sort of tell somebody that it isn't something that is shameful yeah. that it isn't something to feel guilty mm-hmm. and to sit someone down and make them feel comfortable and make them feel welcome and make them feel deserving of what they're receiving. Mm-hmm. And also, I think, I think as a mutual aid group, mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm really proud of um, and I think is, is quite good for people's mental health is that within we you know we've had sort of limited food choices yeah. in in what we've had mm-hmm. that our members and those who receive parcels can choose what they eat okay. um and choose what they have in their parcels mm. as opposed to often going to a food bank and just being given a sort of bag of of anything mm-hmm. 
Um, and people people sometimes aren't used to that. But um, when I've seen people face to face, you know, I really like to sort of, and I really want to tell people, you know, you choose what you eat. You make sure that you are eating what's a, what you and your family want to feed yourselves with and what keeps you healthy and Great. what keeps you happy. Yeah, just, I mean, no, I, I completely agree. And just that, you know, like, as Caitlin said, I mainly do stuff over the phone at the mm. moment because um, I've had long COVID and so I've been able to get out really in the past year. Right. But it, that's a really nice connection with people over the yeah. phone and you get the sense that a lot of other people are also really appreciate that connection, even though a lot of us haven't met. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and people are just really struggling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so uh, that bit of human connection is is really... Um, you know, you feel that that gives people a bit a bit of positivity as yeah. well. And, and for some people that are volunteering, um, you know, people have said this has helped me get out of the house. You know, I've struggled with, I think after lockdown, especially if people found it hard before, it can be even yeah. harder. So I think absolutely, you, you see that benefit for people. Yeah, well. that must be very rewarding. Um, guys, it's been awesome talking to you both. Um, all it's left to say is um, how can people get in touch with you? What what contact deals can you give out if online and offline? I think probably the best thing um, is to contact us on foodandsolidarity at gmail.com. Okay. Um, and if people want to follow our um, Twitter, uh, it's at NCL Mutual Aid. And we've also got one at Elzik Mutual Aid. Okay. And Eldic Mutual Aid on Instagram as well. Brilliant. Well, that's that's been a really, really nice recording. Um, I feel feel quite elevated chatting to you both because I feel, you know, chatting to other people doing really important community work, you know, it's important for my own well-being. It's quite like a talking therapy, and I I don't mean that, but it was really interesting what you said, Shireen, just there about that connection you make, even if it's just with some person over the phone, that, that can be really beneficial so um good luck to to you guys and and i wish you all the best and um thank you for joining us in part one and um yeah take care and i'd love to chat to you again thanks very much Hi everyone once again, um, Mentally Sound podcast series, Life in Lockdown, episode 87, this is part two. Thanks very much for Shireen and Caitlin in part one from Elzig Mutual Aid and look out for them. Actually I saw them the other day when I was passing by on my way to the Mella. Uh, I saw their stall uh, outside Iceland I believe and um, from what I saw on social media they were getting a lot of uh, great reaction from the community so long may that continue. And uh, we'll be in touch with them again to see how things are. Part two, as I say, and I've got another equally great guest. Very much short notice, and I'm thankful for her for joining me at quite a late hour on a bank holiday. But there you go, such is commitment to the cause. I myself have had a bit of a crazy day, so I'm extra thankful for her for joining me. And it is Sarah, and she's from the charity Trauma Research UK. And we're going to learn all about, well, there's a whole host of things we're going to talk about. But first of all, Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Ricky. Oh, absolutely welcome. Um, 
as I say, I'm very thankful that you joined me. We had to change the time slots a bit, but very thankful for your company. On a mental health level, Sarah, have you been last last? I mean, the, these podcasts have a very heavy lockdown theme, and we'll talk more about lockdown in a bit. But how have you been, sort of last last few days, weeks? I'm doing really, really great, thank you. Um, lockdown actually for me wasn't too bad. It mm. was um, something that, um, it was a time that um, brought great reflection and um, it gave me insight into, um, you know, the way we should take time out, the way we should take time to spend with family mm -hmm. and uh, do things that we want to do, you know, yeah. take care of our mental health, etc. So, so for me, you know, I didn't struggle at all through lockdown. I was one of the lucky ones. I know that not everybody's like that, but uh, mm. I was one of the lucky ones, yeah. Mm. Now, before we, we hit the, the record button, you give me a little insight to your background. So I think that'll be a good place to start, actually. I'm kind of twinning two things together. So you were involved with the previous mental health charity, if I'm correct. So would that mean throughout lockdown, were you also on the front line? Were you sort of busy um, helping sort of vulnerable people? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. There's there's an awful lot of people that, that found it really really hard out there, and mm -hmm. um, um, I was in charge of replying to um, emails yeah. and you know calls for help, um, social media as well. So mm -hmm. so so that was uh, yeah. It was it was it was eye opening actually to mm -hmm. see how, how much people were struggling. Yeah, yeah. And do you feel that as we're kind of out lockdown, although the, 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 the you know the COVID situation isn't exactly gone away yet, there's still a lot of people vulnerable people out there. Do you feel there's still a lot of work to be done? Do you think the fallout from that period is still there to me? Still the challenges are still need to be met and given your new role in this sort of new charity you're involved with, which we'll talk more about later of course, but do you feel there's a lot of after effect that still needs to be there's there's maybe a slight danger that might be neglected and we're not kind of looking at it. Well, I think I think the, the after effects are going to last for for a while. You yeah. know, um, certainly um, people's lives changed during lockdown. You know, in yeah. in many many ways, um, mental health being obviously one of the the, the top, uh, um, you know, the top things that yeah. that, that, that affected people. Um, so so yeah, it's not over yet. It's definitely not over yet. I think there's there's more to come. But then also, mm -hmm. you know, times are changing and. We're talking more about mental health and you yeah. know encouraging people to talk out. Yeah. Um, so that's that's also very important. Yeah, absolutely. So trauma is something very dear to me, and I know it is dear to you. I think we've both got backstories which we we both might we don't mind sort of sharing um, because we try and be as candid as possible on this. Um, so so tell me about Trauma Research UK. I mean the the wonders of social media. Um, I think we kind of followed one another not that long ago, and I and I'm, I just always remember looking at your social media feed and thinking they're really interesting because they're hitting, a, they're going at mental health at a particular angle, and, and of course trauma is very huge, and of course trauma is very much associated with lockdown as well. Um, so tell us about Trauma Research UK and how it got started and and your role with it and and wh where we are now with it. 
Okay, so um, I'm, myself, I developed um, a phobia and OCD at a very young age. Yeah. Um, and from there, I went on to suffer from panic attacks for many, many years. Um, I learned how to manage my life. Um, you know, I had some very, very dark episodes and even mm. ended up in hospital at one point. Mm. Um, and back then, um, there wasn't the support that there is nowadays. And, mm. and mental health disorders were still a taboo subject. So... But eventually I found a charity that I could talk to, um, mm. which was great to, you know, be in touch with others that understood what I was going through. Mm. Um, and I actually ended up volunteering for them for 20 years, over wow. 20 years. Okay. Um, one day I saw an advertisement for a workshop claiming that OCD, phobias, etc., etc., could be completely overcome. You know, I, I, I saw it, but I, I just didn't believe that, it, you know, you could overcome these things. I'd learned to manage mine. And um, so, you know, to overcome it would have been, to me, a miracle at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I tried absolutely everything. So anyway, you know, I booked a place for this workshop anyway. Um, and it was an event run by life coach and therapist Nick and Eva Speakman. Mm -hmm. um, I watched in awe. As, as I saw them change people's lives in front of my eyes. There was a, a lady that suffered from emetophobia, which, in case you don't know, is the fear of vomit. Yeah, yeah. And she yeah. suffered for 50 years. Yeah. And within 10 minutes, literally, she was cured. Right. Um, another, another lady was addicted to chocolate, and exactly the same results, you know, with wow. being with Nick and Eva for 10 minutes and you know it was all gone so during the break I um, plucked up courage and uh, got up and had a chat with Nick and Eva not just about my own issues and what I'd been going through but mm -hmm. also about helping people in general and what they were doing and my goodness what an inspirational couple mm -hmm. um, so I went home and I put into action everything that they'd advised um, you know different life-changing life-changing practices the tools and and everything that they gave out of this workshop yeah. um and it was it was actually life-changing mm. so a couple of days later i wrote them an email um thanking them for what they'd done for me yeah. uh, but also asking them what they thought about setting up a charity using their amazing therapy because um wow. you know up until that point i'd help people manage and put in coping skills etc you know um but to actually see people recovering from you mm. know things that they'd suffered from for so many years yeah. Yeah. um i just wanted to know you know what they thought about setting up a charity to to help people using their therapy and let's say that the rest is history wow <laughs> that's a brilliant story that's that's yeah, fantastic yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there so must have been there must have been immediately receptive to your idea then, and getting 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 this lifted off the ground. Well, apparently, it was something that they'd considered for many many years, right. um, wanted to do because you know their their aim in life is just to help people, mm. and obviously they get thousands and thousands of letters every week sure. um, that they you know that they they can't answer personally one by one um but um so so it's, it's been something they've wanted to do for a long 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 time mm. um so me going forward with with my um experience and and um things from 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 a past charity yeah. and with their therapies etc well so it's match made in heaven perhaps that's brilliant <laughs> i mean i was just going to say regarding the speakmans i mean i'm well aware of their work i mean so things like, I mean, they're, they're sort of regulars on daytime TV, aren't they? I see them on This Morning. In fact, in a, in a roundabout way as well, I remember the, I think there was a, a lady who um, was believed that she'd been attacked by the Yorkshire Ripper and they kind of helped to kind of get over some of the, the trauma and seek the appropriate help. I interviewed uh, 
the son of a victim of the Yorkshire Ripon a few episodes ago. But I've seen also they do work with, you say, the, the, the fear of vomit. But I, re I remember a lady who, was, who couldn't leave the house because she was scared of birds. There was another one involving clowns and involving buttons and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, that, that works there to see. I mean, it's sometimes, it's, sometimes it feels like, because when you watch it on TV, it's very instantaneous, isn't it? But there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes, you know, you know, sort of deep work. Sometimes that you, you feel the TV doesn't really justify. Would would you would you agree with that when it comes to dealing with such trauma? Absolutely. Obviously, they've only got a short slot when you yeah. see them on daytime TV. They've got a short slot, so you know a lot of it has to be done behind the scenes, which is what makes people think, yeah. you know, it's a miracle. How does this work? Yeah. Um, but but it but it does, mm. and um, it's 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 all about um, the way they do it, and their mm. therapy is just amazing. So, mm. um, at the Trauma Research UK, we've mm. um, based all of our recovery programs, services, etc., on yeah. their on their therapies, yeah. um, and we uh, we offer support and recovery programs to people suffering from trauma and anxiety related disorders and you know phobias like you've just mentioned panic attacks ptsd mm -hmm. ocd mm -hmm. um generalized generalized anxiety disorder mm -hmm. could also be um you know um self-esteem issues depression yeah. addiction yeah. um and and also those who are simply finding it hard to find their direction in life you yeah. know maybe after lockdown after covid yeah. etc or through other um sure. through other you know things that they've experienced in life they can you can mm. you can quite easily lose your direct direction mm. you know through mm. after divorce or losing somebody you mm -hmm. know whatever it might be i mean thank you first of all for being really candid about your own sort of OCD backstory. I mean, with, with myself, I had my own trauma issues back when I was in my teens. And it was really, I wonder if you agree with me, Sarah, because one of the interesting aspects about trauma is, and I guess it's to do with, you know, what when it happened to me, it was so young. Um, I was only like, you know, 14, 15. But it was a case of like, it was a case where it lay dormant. And you know, I had everybody telling me, well done for getting through it. And you almost felt, almost on a, on a heroic, felt heroic. It was also a case where I had to protect my own family in this circumstance. So I was getting a lot of appraisal and almost elevated. But of course, things like that didn't last very long. And it was only until like a few months later, I returned to school. And so I had my first panic attack in class. And I was like, wow, what was that? You know, I was asked a question by my teacher and I still, and I remember leaving the classroom thinking, what happened there? But then I was trying to convince myself that this is normal. We must all be going through this. And it wasn't until I sought help after I graduated in my early 20s um, that I got the, the diagnosis of PTSD. And it was actually a feeling of, I remember feeling quite glad about it because I thought, well, now I know what it is. Now I can you know, seek the appropriate help, seek the right people, the right signposting. But I'm talking about 20 years ago, and it almost feels a different world even even, even, even back then. But would you agree with me that such such things like the dormant feeling where you feel that you can get over it, but um, it, it's, like a, it's almost like a monster within, doesn't it? It kind of creeps up on you when you least expect it. Would you say that was a similar case with you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these things can, they can, they can lay dormant for a long, long time. Mm. Um, and I mean, you were lucky, you, you lucky, I mean, in, 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 a, in a certain context that you know where it, it came from, where yeah. your panic attacks, etc. came from. Mm. There's an awful lot of people that don't know, you know, mm. 
where where it stems from mm. um but we know for a fact that no one is born with anxiety no one is born with a phobia depression addiction panic attacks etc so one day a person is okay yeah. and then something happens and everything yeah. changes yeah. um so finding the installation point is really key mm. um so you know through through our programs at trauma research uk um we get the service users to create a timeline okay. of their life okay. and then together we slowly but systematically work on dealing with past events by changing this perspective of them okay. um emotional weights that people may have been carrying around for years could stem from things such as you know being bullied at school or at home yeah. um losing someone close parents separating a painful break- breakup yeah um, or like in your case, you know, experiencing or witnessing a traumatic event, you know. Mm, mm. So, but the good news is that we've all got the ability to leave these things in the past yeah. once we've accepted them. Okay. Because it's not it's not what's wrong with a person, it's it's what's happened to that person. Okay. okay. So it's not something that's wrong with you, mm. it's something happened to you. Mm. Um, and if you weren't born, born with it, then you don't have to live with it. I'm interested in in your sort of terminologies there. So use words like installation point. So is that part of the, the the CBT in a way that you kind of find a certain point in their life where they believe that that such the trauma began or began to manifest? And that's interesting that, that these people didn't even, didn't even know that that was the key to to how it led to where they are now. I mean, I find that really interesting. I remember telling my mental health nurse at the time because um, my my late father used to. Well, I didn't see it back then as self-harm, but often at times when he was distressed, particularly when he was, you know, fighting with my grandfather, that he would pick up his shoe and actually, you know, hurt himself. And, uh, of course, that was traumatic enough to, to witness himself as, as a child. And when I revealed that to my mental health nurse, she was like, I'm so glad you told me about that, Ricky, because for her, it was a case of joining certain dots and or, or using the, the jigsaw puzzle sort of metaphor. And that's often the case, isn't it? It's about building a picture to a person's background yeah. where they probably didn't feel yeah. that it was it was necessary necessary to the causes of where they are and why they're getting these feelings of trauma. Would you agree? Absolutely, which is why we get a person to write their timeline hmm. um, and then go back over the events. We we talk with them and go. We we, we get them to, to score these events one hmm. to ten. Yeah. Ten being the worst you know, having still effect on them nowadays. Um, And then we go through each of these events and go back and change their perspective of what actually happened. Right, yeah. I find that really interesting because, you know, as I say, even 20 years ago when I went on this journey, as it were, when I was like, you know, finding about my own situation, I just wondered what it'd been like if if I'd come across a group like Trauma Research UK, how... Um, because sometimes in your mental in one's mental health journey, in terms of you know the signposts and everything, whether you come across different groups, organisations, but they a lot of them are quite specific. But I think you guys, unless I'm mistaken, are the first ones who look at sort of trauma in the direct way that you do. Do you feel that you're kind of I don't know breaking new ground, as it were, in some cases? I know you have trauma in your in your in, in the title of your group, but do you feel that you're kind of Doing things in a in a roundabout way that perhaps others aren't is there something unique about about you? Well, I, I definitely think I definitely think so. I mean, you know, by the the, the, the feedback that we're getting from our recovery group, which is is mm. absolutely amazing. You know, it, it 
it's it's wonderful to to hear every day that you know we're we're making a difference to people's lives. Yeah. You know, we got we got a lady on, a, on an airplane very recently that had um, a phobia of flying, and she yeah. went away on holiday for yeah. the first time in, in many, many years. Yeah. And, you know, we've, um, we've many, many stories of, of recovery, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're a, we're a national registered charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just dedicated to helping as many people as we possibly can. Right. And yeah, most of these, most of these things, obviously PTSD, but other things like panic attacks, phobias, they mm. were all installed at some point by mm. some traumatic yeah. moment. Yeah. That is why trauma is is yeah. is you know in in yeah. the title of our our name yeah. because that's where it comes from. That yeah. it all stems from one episode, something yeah. that happened. Yeah. Other things may have happened since then. Why we do the timeline? Mm. That's actually added to the building blocks mm. to create you know, even more issues. Um, So it's about going back to the installation point Mm. um, and, you know, knocking that brick away so all the other bricks Mm. come tumbling down. It must be a real surprise or, or, uh, you know, a revelation to the the patient or client that when you you find that that, that point of installation you're telling, something that happened which they probably didn't feel was was trauma and then they must come back (laughs) at you and think, wow, really? Was it really from that? I mean, how much of that sort of feedback yeah. do you get? Because I find that really interesting. Oh, yeah. We, we get an awful lot of that, an awful lot of what we, we call them light bulb moments. Right. And, yeah, we get an awful lot of that. And we also get people coming to us with um, a certain phobia. Hmm. Um, and then by the time they spend some time talking to one of our, our mentors, and they'll realise that, it, you know, it isn't that at all. It's something completely different, yeah. um, you know, started it off it was some kind of trauma or something yeah. in the past yeah. um and then they, they've they've placed it with a you know they've associated it with something else okay. which has brought on um either panic brilliant. attacks or mm. a phobia etc yeah brilliant do you know what we, we're nearly coming to the end this is just flying by isn't it it's it's it's, it's been fantastic <laughs> but i had a feeling it would because when i first chatted to you you know as soon as we logged on together um it's 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 just conversation just bounced bounce isn't it it's been fantastic uh, my, my, my last questions is now that we're in the age of social media and especially with young people how popular that is and of course we connected via via that medium how much are you using that to your advantage in terms of reaching out and and calling out to people i guess for young people as well that's something quite crucial i imagine it certainly is uh yeah we've um we were obviously daily present on on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Every mm. single day we're on there, we post, we re- reply to everybody. Mm. Um, um, we've, we've now got a TikTok channel and a YouTube channel where we're putting videos out. We just want to reach out as far as we possibly can and yeah. um, to let people know that they're not alone mm. and whatever it is, you know, whether it's um, whether their anxiety is persistent, frequent, occasional or completely overwhelming, we mm. completely believe that with the right help and support, mm. anyone can turn their circumstances around. Brilliant. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, our recovery program is designed to help break anxiety-inducing anxiety habits mm. and create new, healthier ways of thinking. Awesome. We share... Awesome. Sorry, go on. No, I was just, I was just liking what you're saying. I was just saying, awesome. <laughs> Sorry, carry so, on. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really important. I think that we're out there on social media um, and interacting with people, listening to what people need, mm. um, and hearing them because mm. that's really important as well. Mm. And 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 
showing them that people can overcome everything, whatever it is that they they might be experiencing. They they can overcome it. They weren't weren't born with it. They can yeah. overcome it. Fantastic. Well, that nicely leads on to my my my, my very last question. I guess it's um, for those who are out there who feel that there's something going on and, and can benefit from Drama Research UK. How would they go about finding you? Well, our website's up there. It's um, traumaresearchuk.org. Yeah. Yeah. And they can also contact us through mm-hmm. um, by email at info at traumaresearchuk.org. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said earlier, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we get back to every single person. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can obviously go over to the website and have a look around the website. There's so many free resources over there. There's download, downloadable PDFs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a mental health blog, uh, information, advice. There's testimonials from people who've recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also got a free monthly newsletter that goes out on the first of each month. Yeah. Um, so you can just about get in there, I think. You might just about get in there if you're listening <laughs> to this. Um, for, the, for the September issue going out on the first, okay. um, that's full of news, articles and guidance. Uh, many, many ways to get hold of us. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, all it leaves me to say, uh, um, Sarah, is a thank you very much for for joining me on Mentally Sound. And I mean, I, I feel I feel really um, thoroughly enlightened, and and um, sort of I, f- I find what you said really insightful. As I say, I've not come across a group who I've chatted to that kind of kind of goes to the nub of the issue um, as directly as what 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 you do. And of course. Uh, with Nick and Eva as well. Um, first, I'd like to say credit to to Eva. I think it wasn't that long ago she 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 was on daytime TV talking candidly about some domestic abuse situations that she was on, and I remember feeling, wow, you know, good for you. So um, yeah, great great couple, and they do amazing work, and, and as do you and and, and rest of the staff. And you are sort of nationwide, aren't you? So I guess with with the whole kind of interaction online. Um, people wherever they are in the country can benefit from from what you guys offer. Absolutely, and you know, just just adding to that, what you're saying, um, um, Nick and Eve have both been through, you know, mm. experiences like we all have, mm. um, and all of our volunteers too. We've all come out the other side of trauma based, you know, mm. anxieties, etc., um, which which I think is really important. So mm. we we just want to now put out there exactly what. Uh, exactly what we've come through and, and help others Fantastic. um yeah. Okay. yeah well if you if you see them again um um please give them our regards and we'd love to even chat to them one one time if they're up for it that'll be that'll be really nice um but all that's left for me to say thank you very much sarah from trauma research uk check them out this has been another episode of uh, mentally sound life and lockdown podcast series this is episode 87 and as i say um lockdown is very much Kind of things are out there normal. I mean, I was out. I was in an outdoor festival today, um, and there wasn't very much mask wearing. But we're in that mode now, where I guess post lockdown, we we take it upon ourselves. But I still say, I still you know, uh, readdress to people to look out for our vulnerable. You know, because there's a lot of people out there who still can't get back into normal life. So look out for them. Check out the early interview with Mutual Aid, um, West End Mutual Aid, particularly the Elzig branch. You'll hear a lot about that as well. But as I honestly say, look after yourselves, but more importantly, look after your mental health. Bye, everybody. Thanks very much, Sarah. Take care. Join us again for some more mental